Well done, thank you. Open those doors and let those people in from the foyer. Let them come on in. Come on in, folks. I invite you to come on in. Oh, is that for me? That's not the baptistry, is it? All right. Well, we're going to uh, pick up where we left off last uh, Lord's Day morning. Uh, we're going to finish this message on what does Christmas mean to you? I made mention that there are many divided opinions amongst even Christian people uh, about uh, Christmas. Um, some, some folks say, well, uh, Christmas has uh, pagan roots. Others say it has Catholic roots and we shouldn't um, have anything to do with it. Some say, leave it alone, it's just fine. And uh, there's uh, numerous opinions about uh, Christmas. Now, I think uh, what we ought to be concerned with is the truth and not to be uh, colored by uh, uh, another man's opinion. We ought to be looking to the scriptures and looking to the Lord to find out what's true. And what is it that Christmas means to you? Um, uh, Helen Steiner Rice is famous for writing many um, cards uh, throughout the year, Christmas cards. She's passed away, but um, she has hundreds of poems and uh, little sayings and writings in cards. And uh, concerning Christmas, she once wrote, Peace on earth will come to stay when we live Christmas every day. I thought that was quite cute. Samuel Johnson is the man who wrote the really first good English dictionary, and he lived and died there in the 1700s, and he wrote, the church does not superstitiously observe days merely as days, but as memorials of important facts. Christmas might be kept as well upon one day of the year as another, but there should be a sta stated day for commemorating the birth of our Savior, because there is a danger that what may be done on any day will be neglected. And uh, so those are just a couple of thoughts, a couple of opinions. Last Sunday, we uh, looked at um, the words of, of some people who say that um, we should not celebrate birthdays at all because it's not biblical to celebrate birthdays. And they say the only people in the Bible that celebrated birthdays were pagans. Uh, therefore, they say we should have nothing to do with, with birthdays. Now, the, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are big on that. The Worldwide Church of God that uh, Herbert Armstrong started, it's changed names a couple of times, but it's essentially the same kettle of fish. Uh, that's where they take their stand. But the truth is they're wrong. They are wrong because uh, we looked at scriptures that showed that godly people uh, did celebrate birthdays. Uh, also, some people say that, well, uh, we're never commanded in the Bible to uh, celebrate Jesus' birthday, therefore we shouldn't. Now, the question we should be asking is, would we offend God by celebrating Christ's birth? Would that be an offense to God? Um, we looked at various uh, scriptures. The angels, of course, celebrated his birth. The shepherds came and celebrated his birth. The uh, wise men came because he was born and they worshiped him. Uh, but what really stood out was um, the Jews came up with other feasts that God had not prescribed, and yet Jesus celebrated them. Jesus, God in the flesh, came and celebrated at those feasts. And so uh, um, unless we're doing something wicked on Christmas, 
there's no indication that it would displease God at all. Now, we're going to pick up at that point. If you missed last Sunday's message, you can always watch it online. It's all there for you. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to look at um, uh, three, um, two or three, anyhow, uh, other points that uh, should help us when it comes to Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word and help us, Lord. Have the Holy Spirit use the scriptures today. Father, I pray that every one of us would uh, become concerned, uh, not so much about December 25th, but about our hearts and lives before you. Lord, grant to us revival. Lord, I pray that at this Christmas season, everyone that names the name of Christ would feel a great sense of closeness and revival and the Holy Spirit still small voice wooing them to come even closer. Lord, help us not to make the mistake that so many others have made and maybe we ourselves have made in the past and that's to get our eyes on things more than on Jesus at his birthday. And so bless us, we pray, as we continue our study in Jesus' name, we ask it, amen. All right, well, we're picking up, I guess, with number three, if you're counting them. Some people say that uh, it's not biblical to give gifts. That's true. There are some people that say it's not in the Bible, it's, it's not there, it's not biblical that we should be giving gifts to each other. Now, maybe for some of you here today, you've never heard these things before. Well, that's fine, but you may come across them this week or you know, in two weeks or in a month or something. You may talk to someone at, at work or at school and you may be saying, oh yeah, we had a, a wonderful uh, Christmas time as a family and they'll pipe up and say, oh yeah, you're a Christian and you, you give gifts or you celebrate birthdays, show me in the Bible. Well, that's why you're getting all of the goods here, folks, is so that you'll be able to give an answer to them who pose these silly questions. But this is a, a silly statement saying that it's not right, it's not biblical for us to give gifts to each other. Let's take them to task on that, shall we? Turn to the Old Testament book of Esther. Would you do that? Now you'll find Esther right before Job, and you'll find Job right before Psalms, and you'll find Psalms in about the middle of your Bible. So that should help someone here. Esther chapter 9. Esther chapter 9. Now, if you know anything about the book of Esther, it has to do with uh, a plot, I believe, by Satan to destroy all the Jews. By the way, I'd like to add this little bit of commentary here. The devil has been trying to wipe out all the Jews ever since he could, uh, ever since he came into his head, because he knows that if he can wipe out all the Jews, he's broken the promise of God. And if he can break the promise of God, he's broken the power of God. And guess who wins? And so he's been trying to destroy the Jews. That's what motivated Hitler and the Nazis to try and wipe out all of the Jews. That's what uh, motivated so many other world leaders. And that's what will motivate Antichrist in the coming tribulation. He's going to try to destroy all of the Jews. And it's really Satan trying to do it. And so maybe we ought to be including in our prayers uh, for the salvation of Israel and the protection of his people. 
Anyhow, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about Christmas. And so if you found Esther chapter 9, they uh, finally overcame this wicked plot. And I want you to see something here in verse 19. Therefore, the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and of, say these next words with me, sending portions one to another. Folks, that's gift giving. That's gift giving. To say that gift giving is not biblical is to have to kind of close your eyes when you come to the book of Esther. Now look at verse 18. It says, the Jews uh, that were at Shushan, that's uh, Shushan, the palace there where all this started, assembled together on the 13th day thereof and on the 14th day thereof and on the 15th day of the same, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. And so we see resting, feasting, gladness, um, <coughs> a good day, sending portions one to another. Look at verse 22. It says, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and say these next words with me, gifts to the poor. There's gift giving there. This whole chapter here, it talks about happiness and joy and making a celebration. And uh, the Jews still to this day celebrate this. And uh, when they have the celebration, they talk about uh, um, Haman, the bad guy. There was Mordecai, the Jew. He was a good guy. And Esther, his, well, it was sort of like his daughter, but it was more like his niece. And he raised her like a, a, a daughter. And uh, Haman, the bad guy. And in many a synagogue, when they, they, uh, they talk about this, they have these little raz makers. And whenever the name of Haman is mentioned, they, you know, uh, a curse on his name sort of thing. And so they still celebrate this after thousands of years. And so I just want you to notice here in this uh, chapter of Esther that there's great joy. It's a happy day, a festive day. They're resting, they're eating, and they're giving gifts one to another. Who says that giving gifts is not biblical? Turn back a few pages, please, to Nehemiah. Go back to the left there, Nehemiah, and go to chapter 8. Nehemiah, we have the, the uh, great building of the wall. And uh, that was a tremendous accomplishment. Uh, the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed by the enemy, and now God allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. They had to rebuild those walls. And uh, the enemy tried to stop them, but he couldn't do it. And uh, he, they got it done in record time. In fact, they got it done in 52 days. It says in uh, Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15, 52 days. They rebuilt all the walls of Jerusalem and all of the gates and everything. It was a tremendous uh, accomplishment. And then in the next couple of chapters, uh, right into chapter 8, and that's where I want you to go in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, we have um, all of the, the fallout from that. And it was a good fallout. It was a happy time, a time of a festivity. They were so glad to be able to get those walls up and the gates, and they were a city once again. And in Nehemiah chapter 8 you'll see verse 10 here it says then he said unto them go your way this is Nehemiah speaking here go your way eat the fat drink the sweet oh happy day 
and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is a command to celebrate. They were commanded to have a party. Uh, and uh, let's see, verse 11, no, verse 12 as well. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Oh, okay, boss, uh, you said the party, we're going to party. Now, what they did was they made up a new celebration to honor God for completing the walls of Jerusalem. You know, we've been praying for years that God would bring us to our own little piece of promised land. We're looking for 20 acres of promised land and to put up 10 buildings so that we can support more missionaries, train more Bible college students, bus in more young kids, age ages 5 to 12 and minister to their families, minister to the more people, expand the choir loft, put in an orchestra pit. I mean, really, do it upright. And we need room to do it. We need land and we need buildings. And I'll tell you this, that when God does that for us, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a big festive occasion. And I don't know, maybe we'll make it a national holiday. I'm not sure. But it's going to be big. Uh, stay tuned. And so anyhow, they were uh, commanded to uh, celebrate and to eat and drink and send portions. And all of that is gift giving. All of this sounds a lot like gift giving, if you ask me. And uh, uh, that is a natural part of celebrating is gift giving. Uh, if you would uh, turn back to Second Samuel, you won't have to go too far. Uh, behind uh, Chronicles, behind Kings, you'll find Samuel. Go to Second Samuel and chapter 6. Uh, and here's another uh, illustration of this. Some people say, oh, it's not biblical to give gifts. Fooey on that. Because uh, the book of Esther declares it's biblical. The book of Nehemiah declares it's biblical. And Second Samuel chapter 6 declares it's biblical as well. Because here we have uh, King David who brought the ark of God up to Jerusalem and right to Zion. And it was such a fantastic day that chapter 6, verse 19 says, And he, that's King David, dealt among all of the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well uh, to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a, a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. That's gift giving right there. Those are gifts of celebration. And so I want you to know it is biblical. Don't let anyone fool you on this. Don't be led down a false path. It is biblical to give gifts. It's biblical to celebrate birthdays. It's biblical, folks. Now, someone is all pious and says, Oh, that's only Old Testament. Show me this in the New Testament. All right. Let's go to the book of Acts. Let's go to Acts. You know, you do get some, some people, maybe they're all stick in the muds, maybe they're well-intentioned, but you do get some Christians that have a divided mind, and somehow they don't think the Old Testament is the Word of God anymore. Somehow they don't think that, that all Scripture is inspired of God. They just think the New Testament is, and they forget all about the Old Testament. God wrote that book. God gave us that book, and that's still good for us today, folks. But let's go to Acts, and we'll go to uh, chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. 
Now, watch as I read. Paul wrote, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, how he said, now say it out loud with me, it, say it out loud, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't think everyone said it. Would you do it once more, please? Everyone read it, please, out loud. Say it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And what do we call it when you give? We call it gift giving, right? That's gift giving. That's biblical, folks. These people that say, oh, it's not biblical to give gifts. No, no, no. You're all wet behind the ears. It is biblical. All right. Then some people say, well, okay, okay, okay. But the Christmas tree, that's an idol. There are people who think this. That old tree there, and you put those uh, ornaments on it, and then you put gifts under that. It's pagan! And it's amazing, that word. That's like a magic word, you know. It's like the word abuse. Why, that's abuse, and it's a horrible word, and no one wants to be accused of, of abusing, abusing their dog, abusing their child, abusing their husband, abusing their wife, abusing their job or position or authority. Why, that's abuse. That's a case of abuse. Oh, those are scary words. Well, a lot of those words are unfounded and are lies. But I tell you, Christmas tree, pagan, pagan. Oh, listen. That's, that's coming through false teeth, folks. The, those, those words, don't believe that. Don't believe that at all. And they, they, they think they got us because they take us to Jeremiah. Let's go there with them, shall we? Let's follow them on their little uh, trip down memory lane. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah. All right, so it's on the right-hand side of Psalms, and you'll find Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then go to uh, chapter 10. There we go. Jeremiah chapter 10. Old Jeremiah would turn over in his grave. Of course, he's not in his grave, is he? Hallelujah. He's up in heaven. He'd turn over in heaven if he knew what people were trying to do with his own words, construe them to say something they're not. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 10. Now, look, please, at verse 3 and 4. It says, For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They say, there it is. That's the Christmas tree. That is a Christmas tree. Pagan! If you had walked up to Jeremiah back after he just spoke those words and you said, oh, that's a Christmas tree, Jeremiah would say, oh, what's a Christmas tree? Jeremiah had no idea what a Christmas tree was because it hadn't been invented. It'd be thousands of years before the world would see its first Christmas tree. And so to say that Jeremiah was preaching against Christmas trees is false. It's wrong. So what was Jeremiah preaching against? Look at the context. The context is king. The context will tell you. You know, the cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they love to take a verse out of context. These two verses, if you just pulled them right out of the Bible and looked at them, you'd say, well, yeah, maybe, I don't know, it could be a Christmas tree. Of course it's a Christmas tree, they say. But when you put it back in its context, verse 1, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Since when does Israel put up Christmas trees? Huh? Huh? 
Verse 2, Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. That's astrology. Now that is pagan. Idol worship and astrology. And by the way, folks, if you follow your astrological sign, you don't know what you're doing. You're out of your mind. Get rid of that stuff. Oh, but I follow it and it comes true. No, you're following the... Listen, the God of this world blinds the minds of people. Astrology is not of God. Now, astronomy is different. Do you understand the difference between astronomy and astrology? Astrology is all that signs, oh, you're born under this star, you're a Pisces, you're a scorpion, you're an idiot. And astronomy deals with the sun and moon and stars and revolving and all. Astrology is not of God. Neither is palm reading. And I know there's a bunch of houses in this town that put up signs saying, palm's red. I can read palms too. Show me your palm. Uh, nothing there. There you go. That'll be five bucks. God is not in astrology. He's not in crystal balls. He's not in palm reading. He's not in tarot cards. He's not in seances. He no, has nothing to do with those things. Those things are inventions of Satan. Leave them alone. Get them out of your life. Get them out of your, your home. That could be one reason that the devil may have a, a finger in your home is if you've got astrological charts on the wall or you follow your astrology or, or you know, listen, I'd even be very careful about dream interpretations if I were you. Because I'll tell you, if you want to have a dream, just have, you know, a double large pepperoni pizza and a bottle of Coke right before you go to bed. You'll have some wild dream, I tell you, you will. You know, the reason that we dream what we dream, I think it's not like the gods of the universe revealing things. I think it's like a, uh, a flush out of the system because the Bible says that a dream cometh through the multitude of business, meaning you, you're busy, busy, busy all day long, and then you go to bed, you're going to have these wild, vivid, 3D-colored dreams is what you're going to have. A dream cometh through the multitude of business. And so I think that the God set up the dream factory as kind of a flush to kind of get bleh out of our system from the day. It's my opinion only. I'm not here to preach about that. I'm here to preach about something else that's stupid, and that's to say that Christmas tree is an idol. And uh, Jer Jeremiah 10, verses 3 and 4 talk about it because it doesn't. It talks about idol worship. Look at verse 5. So verses 3 and 4. Now look at verse 5. They're upright as a palm tree, but speak not. Since when does your Christmas, you expect your Christmas tree to speak? You don't. They must needs be born because they cannot go. That's 101, logic. One. Christmas tree can't walk itself home. It has to be carried. It's not talking about Christmas trees. It's talking about idols. They can't speak. They can't walk because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them. Since when were you afraid of your Christmas tree? He's not talking about Christmas trees. He's talking about idols. For they cannot do evil, neither also it is in them to do good. The context is idol worship. Idol worship, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about Christmas trees, folks. The context is idol worship. Now, if someone were to see a Christmas tree and get on their knees and start worshiping the tree, that's a problem. That's a problem. Your tree is made out of wood, unless it's one of these modern carbon fiber trees. It's made out of wood. 
the furniture in your home is probably made out of wood, or at least some of it is. You wouldn't get rid of your furniture calling it pagan, a pagan idol, would you? you oh, look at that dining room table. <gasps> and we sit at it every day. And we have meals on it. We better get rid of that thing. No, that's stupid. All right, someone says, okay, okay, all right, all right. You got me on all those points, but I'll tell you one you won't get me on. All right, lay it on us. Christmas, listen, Christ, Mass. See, ah, I got you there. Christ, Mass. When you celebrate Christmas, you're promoting, you're adoring the Catholic Church because they're the ones who promote Mass. And they say that the Catholic Church invented the Christmas and that they laid it over top of a pagan. There's that pagan again. Careful of that word. They laid it over top of a pagan holiday, festival. That's what they did. And uh, it's all Catholic. When you celebrate Christmas, basically you're kissing the Pope's big toe, they say. They point out that the word Christmas is Christ and Mass. All right. You want to deal with that one? Yes? This would probably be the last one we deal with. I hope that some of these things will come in handy because you're going to talk to, you know, uh, Uncle Louie or you're going to talk to Aunt Matilda and she's going to bring up some of these things. Or you're going to go to work and someone at work is going to say, ah, that's pagan. And what you need to do is say, ah, you're wrong. And here's why. And so that's why it's important that you take a few notes on this. But some even real Christians, born-again people, are confused on this because they say, yeah, we can't deny that. It says Christ and it says Mass. Wow, that's, yeah, that's irrefutable proof. Maybe we ought not to be having anything to do with Christmas. Well, let's look at that. And we're going to have to look at that historically because there's no Bible verse we can turn to that says the Catholic Church uh, has invented uh, Christmas. There's, there's nothing in the scripture like that. But the argument comes from history. They say that the Catholic Church invented it. So we have to bring history and argue history with history. And what usually we never hear is that historical evidence points that Christians in the second century now, when we say second century, I hope we all understand that means like 100 A.D. to 199 A.D., okay? The first century was uh, in the year of our Lord when he was born, so zero up to 99 or even just for easy, let's just say zero to 100. That would be the first century, 100, right? First century, got it? Yes? Second century goes 100 to 200. So we call that the second century. Third century would be 200 to 300, okay? So if you heard 14th century, you're talking the 1300s. If you talk the 20th century, you're talking the 1900s. It's easy, simple, yes? All right, good, let's move on. History shows that Christians in the second century were celebrating the birth of Jesus in what they called the Feast of Nativity. Now, I'm going to rattle you off a few things here. Uh, I'd like to suggest that you jot a couple of them down because there really honestly are confused people out there. And so the only way we can handle this one is to bring history to answer history. Um, in, the, 
in the third century, that would be from 200 to 300, Hippolytus of Rome, so an author there, uh, mentions uh, that Emperor uh, Maximian killed 20,000 Christians on the, on the celebration of Nativity, the, the Feast of Nativity. Now that was around 302 AD. Apparently also there was a, a, a two, there were two uh, um, Roman emperors that killed a total of 20,000 Christians, but generally they, they say it was done, boom, on uh, the Feast of Nativity. Um, and that was done in a place in Turkey called uh, Nicomedia, and you can look that up. It's in uh, uh, modern, the area of Turkey today. But 20,000 Christians were killed by uh, uh, Emperor Maximian in 302, and he did it on the Feast of Nativity. Folks, do you know when the Catholic Church actually got started? It wasn't until a couple of hundred years after Christianity was made legal. It was made legal in 313 when Constantine uh, issued the Edict of Milan and he allowed Christianity to be a legal religion. Ten years later, it was the state religion. The Catholic Church never really got going until into the 400, 500, by 600, they had a pope. And they had all the bells and whistles. They were all set up maybe in about 500 uh, A.D., 500 to 600 A.D. That's when the Catholic Church really got its foothold strong. This is before the Catholic Church existed. This is back in the days when Christianity was still an illegal religion in the Roman Empire, and they would put Christians to death. Back in those days of real persecution and real Christianity, they had something called the Feast of Nativity. Real Christians were doing it. Not, not the pagans, they weren't doing it. Not the make-believe Christians because they were too scared to join themselves to real Christians for fear of persecution and getting put into death. The only ones who were doing it would be real born-again Christians. And they called it the Feast of Nativity. Clement of Alexandria lived from 150 to 215 AD. And he's the one who made mention of uh, Christians celebrating the Feast of Nativity. And he mentions December the 25th. Um, in 385 A.D., John Christensen, uh, um, Chrysostom, he spoke of the Feast of Nativity in a sermon. Um, I just want you to know there's historical evidence that what we call Christmas, they called the Feast of Nativity. And they celebrated the birth of Jesus with joy. They were very happy to do it. Now, let's go back to this word Christmas, and let's look at this word Mass. And the word mass, M-A-S-S, -S, is from a Latin word, missa, M-I-S-S-A. And missa means ascending, ascending forth, just like the word to dismiss. Missa has that idea of sending forth. Uh, a mission, a mission has the root word missa in it, the Latin word missa. And so it comes from mitera, uh, a verb meaning to send. Historically, it seems to have been used amongst the very early Christians referring to Christ's great commission, and they may have tied it. Now, this is as close as scholars can figure, but they may have tied the concept of the great commission, go ye into all the world, they may have tied it together with the Lord's Supper. And with the rise of the Catholic Church, they took what was existing and made it their own. And so 
the Catholic Church got going there in the 400, 500, and so on, and by 600, they, they had wings they could fly. But um, they're the ones who took all of this, and they kept the name Missa, which later in English became Mass. Now, the Catholic Mass today doesn't have anything to do with the Great Commission. But what we're saying is that the early church may have taken the word Missa and connected it with the Lord's Supper so that when they sat down to celebrate the Lord's Supper, at the same time they thought of world missions. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But when the Catholic Church came along, it laid hold of that, changed Missa into Mass, got rid of the actual missions part, and then tied people to it. And so if you were raised Catholic, somewhere along the line you were taught that you had to have the Mass. And without the Mass, you have no hope of ever getting to purgatory, let alone heaven. Without the Mass, there's just a, a, a gaping hell waiting for you. That's what you were taught if you were raised under Catholic doctrine. We don't know for sure how or when the Catholics took over Christmas, but they took it from the Christians. The earliest Christians were celebrating the Feast of Nativity, and when the Catholics got in power, they took that over. We don't know exactly when, but the earliest record of the English word Mass is in 800 A.D., and the earliest record of the word Christmas is about 1100 A.D. Many people claim the Roman Catholic Church took over the pagan festival of worshiping the sun in December, and they put Christ in its place. That's what they claim the Catholic Church did. But listen, think about it logically. If Christmas is such a horrible, pagan, ungodly festival, why is it that so many are getting blessed with salvation at Christmas? Why is it that so many Christians are finding revival and finding harmony in their homes and families? Why is there so much wonderful blessing from God at a time when such, such people are saying it's horrible and pagan? Something else. If Christmas is so wrong, if it's so bad, why hasn't the Holy Spirit told us that? Why for thousands of years now has not the Holy Spirit said to us, hey, you better not do that. You better not get involved with that. That's not right. That's not good for you. Now, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Back in the uh, 1800s in England, per se, uh, America too, um, there, were no, there was no medical evidence about how smoking causes cancer. That didn't exist. Uh, people just looked upon it and they said, oh, it's, it's a, you know, smoking, it's a habit. The Christians, though, many of the Christians, most of the Christians, they looked upon it and they thought, no, that that taking in that smoke, it would defile our bodies. And on that basis, on scriptural grounds, they rejected smoking. Today, people reject smoking not so much on scriptural grounds as on medical grounds. Back in the 1800s and 1700s when they were smoking, they had no idea. They had no idea that secondhand smoke is as bad as it is. They had no idea whatsoever. But many, not all, but many of the Christians, most of the Christians would reject smoking just because on scriptural grounds they felt it would defile the temple, the body. 
uh, also not to mention other things, fingers and teeth and so on. But they had no medical evidence back then. They had scriptural principles on which they stood. Now what we're saying here is that if, uh, if, if Christmas is so bad, why hasn't the Holy Spirit warned us? Why hasn't the Holy Spirit told us this is worldly, it's ungodly, it's pagan? Why don't we have evidence of it, of ruined lives and ruined relationships because of Christmas? Why don't we have ruined churches because of Christmas? The answer is because Christmas, if done properly, doesn't ruin. It blesses. Now, I said earlier, if you get down on your knees and worship a tree, you've got a problem. And that can cause a, a, a crack in the home and in the church for sure. Well, I'll tell you something. Most people don't think of Mass when they think of Christmas. The message title is, What Does Christmas Mean to You? Now, I'll be honest with you. If you're here today and the thought of Christmas abhors you, we're okay with that. You say, we are. Sure we are. How can we be okay with that? Pastor, you're saying that Christmas is all right. And someone here doesn't think it's okay. How can we be okay with that? I'll show you. Let's go to the New Testament. Book of Colossians. I'll show you exactly how we can be okay with that. Uh, let's see. After First, um, Second Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There we go. Chapter 2. Thank you. I'll tell you, um, I don't believe in my heart that, that Christmas is the Mass, the Catholic Mass. I don't believe that for a minute. And I never think of that ever. Only when I preach against it. That's the only time I think about it. Um, the days of our week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all seven days of our week are named after uh, pagan deities or uh, evil people. Why don't, we do, why don't we do something about that? Because it doesn't mean Sunday, there's worship of the sun god. That's how we got the name Sunday. That's where it came from. Well, why don't we change it? Because it doesn't mean worship of the sun god to me. Does it do to you? I'm fine with Sunday. How about Monday? Whoa, 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 whoa. what's wrong with Monday? The moon god. The worship of the moon god. We're going to change that too? Why should we? It doesn't mean that to us at all. You know what Monday means? It means back to school. It means back to work. That's what Monday means. Yeah. All right. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to get you to read it with me, okay? I know some of you don't like to do that. Oh, I don't like to do that, Pastor. I'll just kind of mouth it and no one will notice. Yeah. I will notice. I hear everyone's voice. When anyone doesn't speak, I, I see it. I notice. I hear. No, but God does. All right, verses 16 and 17. Help me out here now. Chapter 2, 16 and 17. Let's read it out with our hearts. Here we go. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. This is our last point, folks. We are not to condemn people who do not want to celebrate Christmas. No problem. You don't want to? No problem at all. But guess what? They're not allowed to condemn us who do want to celebrate Christmas. They're not allowed. They're not allowed. They're not allowed to do it. 
Just like I'm not allowed to condemn them for not celebrating it, they're not allowed to condemn me for celebrating it. Okay? All we're trying to do here is point out what the Bible says. But it gets right down to this question, what does Christmas mean to you? Now, if you ask me, it would be the saddest thing in the whole world for a person to join in the celebration of the Savior's birth and yet to miss out on going to heaven because they themselves have never received God's gift of eternal life. That would be the saddest thing that I know of. Someone to come to the, to the, uh, the cantata that just deals completely with the birth of Jesus. Someone to have a Christmas celebration in their home and maybe even sing Christmas carols and yet to die and go to hell. To me, that's the saddest thing possible for someone to join in the celebrating of Jesus' birth to die and go to hell. How would it sit with you, the shepherds, the shepherds who were told that Jesus is being born. And so they say, let us go see this thing. And so they all go all, what, I don't know what, 10 of them, 6 of them, 8 of them, 12, I don't know how many. And they all went and they crowded in that little stable and they oohed and awed over the birth of the King of Kings, the Savior. Oh, this is wonderful. It's glorious. It's, it's, we got to tell everyone. And so they go and they tell people and then they get old and the shepherds die and go to hell. That doesn't make sense, does it? That would sure ruin a Christmas story if the shepherds went to hell. The wise men who came from afar. By the way, I'm talking about the wise men tonight. The wise men who came from afar to worship Jesus and present their gifts. And then on the way back, they get mugged and killed and die and go to hell. The wise men in hell. Does that make sense to you? Because it sure doesn't with me. How can anyone sing the, the hymns and the carols and worship the Lord with those songs and not want to receive eternal life. Beyond me. Now, at this time of year, many people watch on TV various reproductions of Charles Dickens' famous story, A Christmas Carol, featuring the world's most hated man, Ebenezer Scrooge. Right, Ebenezer Scrooge. Dickens himself described Ebenezer Scrooge as a tight-fisted uh, hand at the grindstone, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. And yet the story actually finishes showing how Scrooge finally saw the light. Now, Ebenezer Scrooge was a very selfish person and a ruthless businessman. He loved riches more than he loved anything else in life. He cared nothing for his faithful employee, Bob Cratchit. He even sacrificed his loyalty to the only friend he had in the world, his business partner, Marley. And Scrooge hated Christmas because of the gift-giving and the generosity. That's what really he hated the most. Scrooge was visited by the ghost of Marley and then later by three spirits that took him on a journey in which he saw himself as he truly is. You know, some of us could stand to go on that journey. Some of us, maybe even here today, could stand to know the truth, what people really think about us, or what that joke really sounded like in other people's ears and not in their own ears. Some of us could really 
use a journey like this. But when Scrooge saw the truth, he experienced deep regret and remorse and had a strong desire to right all the wrongs he had done in life. Now that's just a story, but wouldn't it be a shame, listen, for a Christian man or woman to travel the road of Ebenezer Scrooge in life and to put way too much value on a job or a career or on worldly education or on financial investments or on pleasure or on sports, on anything rather than on the true eternal things of God. Wouldn't that be a shame? And what's worse is that people who do this set a very poor example for their children because... There's an old saying, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And what you do in life talks more than what you say in life. And the way you live your life at home in front of your children is going to shape their future. And it's very, very important that we live life God's way, not the world's way. Not what we want. Oh, but I never had this when I was a kid, and I want it, I want it. I want my kids to have the things I never had. Well, you know, the people who say that are usually working 100 hours a week, and the thing that the kid really wants is not a new toy. The kid wants mom and dad. It's far better to live in a less expensive shack and have the love and family and closeness and Christ in the center than it is to dwell in one of these million-dollar palatial homes and you don't know each other, really. You're strangers. You come and go and maybe you say hi and bye and that's about it. That's sad. In the fictitious world of Scrooge, it was three fictitious spirits that showed Scrooge the truth, but in real life, it's only the Holy Spirit that can open our eyes to the truth. I'd like to suggest that we do something at Christmas time. We can do it today. We can come and give our lives to the Lord again. That would be a great Christmas gift. You might not have gold to bring to Jesus. You might not have frankincense or myrrh to bring, but you can bring your life. You can say, Lord, I want to give you my life again. Hey, Christian, maybe it used to be you were closer Maybe you used to walk in closer harmony with Jesus. What happened? How did, how did, how did this happen? Your closeness kind of did one of those. Come on back. Come back. You can do it today. What's holding you back? Why not now? Why not come back now? What a wonderful Christmas gift to get. But it's not Christmas, you say. It's close enough. You know, if the trumpet sounds this week, you never will get to that Christmas tree, will you? If the trumpet sounds this week, you won't have an opportunity next Sunday to draw closer to God. You have a chance today. If you're here and you're not born again, you have a same chance you have today to do it. How about it? What are you going to give Jesus at Christmas? Let's stand to our feet, shall we?